Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 6, and it's from verses 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can be a slave to two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot be a slave to both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more important than food, and the body not more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So don't worry, saying, shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Good morning. Am I on? Brilliant. Can you hear me in the cheap seats? Excellent. <laughs> well, good morning to everyone here. Um, I'd just like to say a big hello uh, to anyone that's not met me yet. I've tried to get around and say hi to you all, uh, but last week some of you weren't here. Um, I'd like to say a massive thank you for the amazing welcome we've had so far. So if I haven't said hello yet, I'll try and work my way around and say hi. That's the first thing. I've got a question to ask you, and that is, in this season of unseasonably warm weather, has anyone else experienced an invasion of insects in their house? Any, any show of hands of insect invasions? Okay. So a few days ago, I was um, 
I kind of experienced a rather nasty invasion. Debbie and I were taking part in a, a guilty pleasure watching Poldark, and um, there's plenty of legitimate reasons for watching Poldark. So we're watching this, and I got distracted out of the corner of my eye with uh, what looked like a big cloud in my living room. And I was like, what on earth is that? And I saw all these kind of midgy mosquito bug things, and I was like, what? what's going on? And then I just started thinking, how do I get rid of them? I've got a newly painted house. I was going, do I get the fly swat and do a full-on splatter fest? I thought that's going to make a massive mess of the paintwork. So I thought the best way of dealing with it was probably to get the vacuum cleaner out. So I got my hoover out and started running around the house with a hoover, trying to suck all of these midges out of my house. I don't think they were anything that were kind of blood-sucking creatures, but they were just really annoying. But it prompted my memory and reminded me of a time when I went on a climbing trip with a good friend of mine called Neil. And um, for those of you who don't know me, I, I quite like rock climbing. I've not done a lot recently. Uh, but I was on this particular bouldering trip, and bouldering is when you're kind of doing rock climbing, but at a low level, so kind of up to about 12 to 15 feet, no ropes, overhanging walls, and you've kind of got a friend with, as a spotter, who's someone that you trust with your life, uh, and a really inadequate crash mat. And that's basically bouldering, that's what it is. So I was climbing up this, this particular route with my friend, and I began to get attacked by these midges. And I was like, this, is, this isn't good. Now, midges seem to bite very quickly. They kind of just get on and they just start. And so I was kind of hanging from this, this rock, watching these things sucking my blood, unable to kind of swap them all off. It was a really, really unpleasant experience. So after a little while of doing this in the morning, we just cut our losses, did what anyone would do, and we went to a cafe and just stopped climbing because it was just horrible. So we stopped climbing and we began counting our bites. And I reckon I had sort of three to four hundred midge bites all over my arms, my legs, my face, anywhere that was exposed skin was just bitten to, like mercilessly and my friend was the same. And the itching from these bugs was unbelievable and the urge to scratch was just, just like nothing I've ever experienced. Now today, for my first sermon at All Saints, uh, I'm going to be preaching on what's killing me, and I'm not doing death by blood-sucking insects. I'm in fact talking about consumerism. Now what on earth have swarms of insects that suck your blood got to do with consumerism? Well, John Ortberg wrote a book called When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. And he likens the insatiable uh, human need for more to an itch that we just need to scratch. So what is this itch called consumerism? Why do we feel this, this kind of need for more and the need to satisfy, to scratch that itch? Well, if you look up the word to consume in the dictionary, you find a dizzying number of synonyms. To consume is to devour, ingest, digest, swallow, guzzle, imbibe. We can feast on, graze on, munch on, snack on, gorge oneself on, and polish off. We can eat up, drink up, gobble up, wolf down, stuff down, gulp down, and scoff down. And if that's not enough, we can tuck in, cram in, and then pig out. So all of these words and phrases, without exception, are to do with eating, but most of them carry a sense of eating with excess. The word consume can also mean to destroy, to demolish, 
to lay waste to, wipe out, annihilate, or devastate. We hear about stars being consumed by black holes, fields being consumed by locusts, houses consumed by fire, and people consumed with guilt. Consumption then appears to be a wholly negative thing. So how should we feel when we walk into a shop and we're labeled as consumers? Is consumption in and of itself inherently a bad thing? Well, verses 25 and 26 from this reading in Matthew actually affirm a certain level of consumption. It's clear that God understands we have certain basic needs, things like food, like water, clothes, and these are all reasonable things to desire. Consumerism, though, is different. Consumerism becomes a way of life. Think Buddhism. There's a, a, a level in which consuming doesn't become just a thing that we do to satisfy our basic needs, but it becomes everything that is, is core to our inner being. No longer a balanced diet if we're going to use the eating analogy, but whatever we want, whenever we want. And to use the fire analogy, not a, a small campfire, but something that's actually begun to just rage out of control. The more we consume, it seems, the more we're consumed. And that's why this comes with a health warning from Jesus. He describes this phenomenon as storing up treasure on earth. I think it's fair to say that most of us would say consumption, the way that we're doing it in the West, is a massive issue, primarily for the environment. The things that we make, the, things, the, way, the way that we use things and the way that we dispose of things is causing real global problems. But that's probably a different kind of different sermon. The question for us today is, how is it killing us? What's it doing to us? With well, the issue, as with so many things Jesus spoke of, is that it's to do with our hearts. And by this I mean our emotional center, our soul. What's it doing to us? Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If we treasure worldly things, we have worldly hearts. If we treasure heavenly things, we have heavenly hearts. Now I don't know about you, but I want a heavenly heart. I want a joyful heart. I don't want a heart that's consumed with unhealthy things. And consumerism primarily kills us by killing our joy. Jesus mentions the word anxiety in this passage six times. He says, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. There's something about if we put stuff, the created, on the place that's meant to be occupied by the creator, we end up consumed. We end up consumed and wrecked with anxiety. To back this up, there was a piece of research done about 10 years ago, carried out by a doctor in the US, and it compared 22 lottery winners, people that had a lot of stuff. They had everything they could possibly have wanted. And they compared these 22 people to a 22 
22 other people in a control group of normal kind of wealth, normal US wealth, sorry. So still probably relatively wealthy. And then there was another group, and they were victims of sudden paralysis. People who'd had a cataclysmic event in their life, and they'd lost the ability to do many of the things they would have wanted to do. The interesting thing is that those lottery winners, they had this initial period of elation where they got what they wanted. They got the things they've always wanted, that car, that house. They got everything. But what happened was their happiness gradually lulled. It gradually reduced to the point where actually they were exactly the same as they were beforehand. And then it carried on reducing and it actually got worse. People found that actually just little things, things that previously gave them joy, going to the cinema, going to the pub, bowling, conversations with friends, nice meals, it just didn't scratch the itch anymore. It wasn't doing that which they hoped it would. And they became miserable. The group that were the victims of sudden paralysis, it turns out that as they came to terms and came to grips with this really horrific thing that had happened to them, actually they made peace with it and they realized that they weren't able to do the things they were previously able to do. So they began appreciating the little things. They began appreciating small things that they hadn't appreciated before. Food with friends, meals, little things. And the truth is that from time to time, we all fall into that trap, don't we? We fall into that trap of believing that more will be enough, a bigger house, a better car, new furniture, higher paid job. And I guess it's worth saying, you know, if, if you're living on the breadline, if you haven't got enough to meet those basic needs, actually, you know, it, it, is, a, it is a problem and it does affect your happiness. But what we, what we, what happens is that once we hit that level, where actually we can afford food and shelter and warmth, and we can, you know, have a bit of a budget for the things, you know, the odd kind of trip out, or whatever. Beyond that, actually, however much we get, it makes no difference. It is a lie, and it's a lie that is as old as time itself. We only have to look at the first biblical account of consumerism to see how this gets played out. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Genesis uh, 3 and uh, the account of the fall. So here, Adam and Eve are in the garden. They have absolutely everything they need. They have food, water, a joyful relationship with each other and a joyful relationship with God. But the serpent sows seeds of doubt. So God's given you everything apart from that fruit? That's not enough. He sows seeds of doubt. Through manipulation and deceit, the serpent encourages Eve to desire that which she doesn't need. And this is how it goes down. It says in verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, 
and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. You know, there's a pattern here that I believe we replicate. It says that Eve saw, she delighted, she desired, she consumed, and then she shared. And the thing that really struck me when reading this is that in both passages, both the the Genesis passage and the Matthew passage, the kind of key to failure, as it were, was what was going on with their eyes. There was something about what we look at and the way that we uh, place value on those things that that is a danger. In our culture, we are constantly bombarded with images, with logos, with adverts, with symbols. Uh, brands and products clamoring for our attention. Are your eyes focused, I wonder, on earthly things or on heavenly things? This is really difficult, isn't it? So short of locking ourselves in a dark room, we can't really avoid advertisements. They're just everywhere. It's a difficult thing uh, to, to do. <clears throat> and in the, uh, in the Genesis account as well, it says that Eve didn't just appreciate how this apple looked. Uh, it says that she delighted in it. She placed an emphasis on this that was beyond that which it was supposed to have. Okay, I've got a time of public confession coming up, and you're going to do this as well. It's always good. I always like people to confess openly in public all their, their stuff. That's a joke. It's all right. Um, but seriously, uh, how many people here have had a new like iPhone, some Apple product, a Mac? Okay, I got given a Mac this week. Ooh, scary. I don't know how to use it at all. Uh, so any, any tips on that is really appreciated. But how many people have had like, either an iPhone or a Mac? Seriously, there's no judgment here. I've got an iPhone again. Okay, when you open the box, they're really nice, aren't they? They're like really white and shiny, and they do an amazing job of making things in a way that just tap into that thing in, in us that loves things that are beautiful, that loves things that are aesthetically pleasing. And that's not, you know, that's not a bad thing in and of itself. You know, we're, 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 we have a part of our being is to see beauty and to like beauty. And God actually harnessed that in the creation of the ark. You know, he gave them amazing, amazingly detailed instructions for building the ark, making it have acacia wood and gold. And God God told them to use that ability, uh, their love for kind of aesthetics, to make something beautiful for him. But we should be worshipping God through, they, it was designed to worship God through that. And instead we end up worshipping uh, worshiping the stuff. <clears throat> also, yeah, this is weird, isn't it? The apple, it's got a big bite out of it, the logo, just saying, you know, discuss over coffee. Weird. Uh, we've got some friends who live in Leamington, and they're basically a really sweet couple, okay? Really, really wonderful people. Um, they are, however, absolutely loaded. And um, it's really difficult, this whole thing of sharing. There's Eve, Eve consumed, but then she shared. And this is problematic. And this couple that we know in Leamington, um, I said, lo- lovely guys, but they're loaded. And what happens is, whenever it's a birthday, an anniversary, Christmas, Facebook is just plastered with like, oh, here's our new car. They had like an advent calendar that was like 200 quid. 200 pounds for an advent calendar. It had like perfume and, you know, luxury chocolates in it. And, and it's just, we were looking at it and it makes you just go, I, I, can, I can't do that. 
I can't keep up with that. I can't keep up with the Joneses. Okay, they're not actually called the Joneses, FYI. But we can't. We can't keep up with the Joneses. And there's always this quality inflation, isn't there? You know, you used to be able to go into a shop and you just buy a coffee, okay? And then it gets to the point where you go in and you go, oh, no, I can't just have a coffee. I've got to order an Americano or a latte or a macchiato or a ristretto or a frappuccino or a cappuccino. You have to, you know, it's quality inflation. And then now you go into a shop and they say, what beans would you like? I don't know anything about coffee beans. You tell me, I just want a nice coffee. Seriously, it's crazy, isn't it? But it goes up and up and up to the point where if you go into a shop now and they say, do you want a coffee? It's like, no, no, no. I want a frappuccino with some like South American hoochie-boochie beans or whatever. You know, I, I don't know what to ask for. But we get disappointed because the ante gets upped. The expectation gets higher. It's like kids' birthday parties as well. It's another one, isn't it? But we up the ante all the time and we just can't keep up. This is an issue for our hearts. It's an issue of worship. I'm not saying this is somebody who is um, in any way immune, okay? We recently moved uh, from Bristol, had a really nice house in Bristol, we've moved here. And we've been given a really lovely house. Okay, it's part of the deal of being Anglican clergy. What are you going to do? Okay, it's really nice. But it, I, I was thinking the other day, if we moved our house that we have now to where we were in Bristol, it would be the biggest house in the street. Like, it's not even close. It would be like double the size, okay? And the other day, I was walking up to our house, and where, where we are now, by the way, it's the smallest house in the street, okay? Um, and I was looking at it, and I kind of thought, oh, you know... We've got like the smallest house in the street. And I just caught myself and I was like, Andy, what are you thinking? You've got an amazing house. You've got a lovely house. God's really been kind to you and blessed you. But it just shows how easily we can fall into that trap of just wanting more. I'm going to go here because I think this is an issue for church. You know, more worryingly is that we're starting to apply this kind of thinking to church you know, if only the church was a bit more liturgical, if only the sermons were better. Sorry for today, by the way. If, if it's no good, just have a word with Rich. He'll sort it out. Uh, you know, if, if only the band was a bit more like Hillsong. You know, we have upping the ante in terms of what's expected in church. Is it entertainment? Are we here to be entertained? If only... You know, even the language of church service, it's easy to slip into a mentality when we can turn up and just go, actually, I'm, I'm here entirely to just receive. And receiving is really, really important, by the way. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. Okay, receiving is important. But if that's all it is, we're missing something really important. You know, has anyone ever heard anyone in church saying, I didn't like the worship today? It's weird, isn't it? Like, it's not for me. Do you know what I mean? It's not, I, I don't worship for, like, we don't worship for us. It's for God. We tell, we tell him that he's awesome. He gets to decide whether it's good worship or not. Not us. <clears throat> so how should followers of Jesus respond to all of this? It's a toughie, isn't it? Really tough. Well, going back to John Ortberg and his own experience of being bitten by all those uh, bugs, his grandmother told him about the law of itch. 
Okay. And the law of itch is this. No one ever made an itch go away by getting really good at scratching. No one ever made an itch go away by getting really good at scratching. It's like when we, we, ha- we feel that itch, we feel that need, we feel the desire to have something or other, we just want a good old scratch, don't we? You know, you think, oh, if I, just, if I just scratch that itch, if I just get that iPod, if I just get that new car, if I just get whatever it is, that that will satisfy. We have to stop the scratching. <clears throat> you know, everything in us might be saying, buy that car, buy that phone, buy that brand of jeans, and it will make us happier, but it won't. And the thing is, just stopping scratching, it doesn't really work, does it? You kind of need more. You need lotion. You need calamine lotion. You need, to, you need something that will actively combat the itch. And Jesus gives us this kind of spiritual calamine lotion here, a way of reducing the itch. And actually, in the Sermon, for the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, goes through this. It's about love for enemies, living selflessly, giving to the needy, living selflessly, forgiving the people that hurt us, living selflessly. For us, as we gather on Sundays, Paul, uh, I think, absolutely nails it in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, when he describes an amazing vision for worship. He writes, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. This vision of church is one where people come prepared to bring something. It's one where people come prepared. We've thought about what church is. We've thought about who God is. That it's not about consumption, but about actually contribution. Wouldn't this be amazing if just next week we could all spend 20 minutes before the service thinking about what can I bring to church? What can I bring to this community? What can I give? Can I come with a a psalm that I've been thinking about and for somebody that I've been praying for? Can I come with an encouraging word for someone who's actually really struggling in an area of leadership or ministry? Wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe I've had this song going through my head all week. I think it might be for the church. I think sometimes we can forget that we're supposed to come with a sacrifice of praise. You know, under the old covenant, that literally meant killing an animal. That was, that was like dinner. It cost them something to, to worship. It was, it was costly. It was expensive. But I really think if we can think about worship in this way, that that will flow into our lives. If we become contributors rather than consumers in church, that that will flow into our lives, that we'll become people who are looking out for opportunities to to give, to contribute to society, to the world, and not just to to, to draw stuff in and to, to consume. And if we can come with this attitude, you know, we become just a little bit more like Jesus who came not to, not to take, not to consume, not to be selfish, but, you know, to give a perfect sacrifice. You know, he, came, he came to give, to give of himself so that we might be forgiven and that the world might be reconciled to himself. 
He calls us to follow him, to be increasingly contributors and to fight that urge to scratch the itch to consume. Amen. Can I pray for us for a minute? Is that all right? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you came not to be served, but to serve. That the God of the universe came, born as a baby, in humility, and lived a life of service. That you washed the muck and the rubbish off your disciples' feet. Lord, you say it's better to give than to receive. And help us to just remember that in that upside-down world of your kingdom, that it's only when we give up everything, that we give everything, that we actually receive life in abundance, life in all its fullness. Lord, help us to recognize when we just get that, that itch, that feeling of need for more, help us to just remember that it, it can't possibly satisfy, that we can't serve both God and money. Jesus, forgive us when we worship the created and help us to worship you, Jesus, the creator. Amen.